0: That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon.
1: Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today is Wednesday, April 22nd, 2020. On this day in 1911, John McNamara was arrested at his union office for bombing the L.A. Times building and killing... 21 people. The crime of the century, as the Times dubbed it, had taken seven long months to solve. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast Original. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Lainey Hobbs. Lainey hosts the podcast, True Crime Fan Club, as well as the ParCast Original, Crimes of Passion. She's a true crime aficionado, and I'm so happy to have her join me on this show again. Thanks for inviting me back, Vanessa. And hello, listeners.
0: Every week on Crimes of Passion, I explore the complex motivations behind scandalous crimes and tales of love stories gone sour. I'm thrilled to join today for
1: another fascinating true crime talk. Anytime, so Laney's here to discuss some of the historical aspects of today's story, while I'll cover the narrative. Now,
0: let's go back to April 22nd, 1911.
1: Private detective William J. Burns sat calmly inside a local police station in Indianapolis, Indiana. He'd been hired by the mayor of Los Angeles to apprehend suspects for the LA Times bombing at considerable expense. In his signature three-piece suit and bushy mustache, he drew quizzical glances from local law enforcement. But finally, after seven months, this mustachioed dandy was on the cusp of solving the crime of the century. Still, as a private detective, Burns couldn't make the arrest himself, so he'd chosen two local policemen to do it for him. And across town, at that very moment, the two policemen entered the American Central Life Building. They made their way to the office of the International Association of Bridge and Structural Ironworkers, where a meeting of the executive board was taking place. John McNamara was in attendance. He was the secretary treasurer. When the officers barged in, the meeting came to an abrupt halt. The officers grabbed McNamara and cuffed him as his co-workers, some of the most powerful and influential union men in the country, stood by and watched, shocked. For the officers to arrest McNamara at his union office seemed almost scripted. After all, the bombing in question had been orchestrated to protest the LA Times' staunch anti-union ideology. Now the bombing mastermind was being led out of the union office in cuffs. But the policemen had one more task before they carted him off to the police station and the waiting detective Burns – a sweep of the building. They hoped to find something incriminating to help their case against McNamara. But they couldn't have imagined the gold mine they'd stumble on in the Union's basement vault. They discovered 60 pounds of dynamite, 200 feet of fuse, percussion caps, and 14 alarm clocks identical to those used in the Los Angeles Times bombing. It didn't take long to reach the police station, where a local circuit judge was waiting. In his hand was an extradition request from the Los Angeles Deputy District Attorney, signed by the governors of California and Indiana. The request called for McNamara to be sent immediately to California to stand trial for the bombing deaths. But he wouldn't go alone. Burns and the officers led John McNamara to the train station, where he was reunited with the other bombing suspects, J.B. McNamara and Ordie McManacle. The three boarded the California Limited, heading west toward Los Angeles. And their trial. Coming up, the circumstances that led McNamara to commit this brazen and misguided act of terrorism. Now, back to the story. On Wednesday, April 22, 1911, John McNamara was arrested at his union office for plotting the bombing of the Los Angeles Times building. The bombing had been executed to protest the Times' anti-union editorial direction. My guest host, Lainey Hobbs, is here to discuss the context surrounding the crime.
0: Thanks, Vanessa. To understand the McNamara's crime, we have to understand the landscapes of American unions back in 1911. These unions began forming in the mid-1850s to combat rampant worker exploitation by the robber barons. But by the early 1900s, their influence was dwindling. Powerful corporations like U.S. Steel found ways to circumvent union hiring rules and spread anti-union propaganda in newspapers across the country. Still, things weren't all bad for the unions. In 1902, the Iron Workers Union emerged victorious after striking against a subsidiary of U.S. steel. They were pushing back with the traditional union tool, strikes, and making some headway. That wasn't enough for John McNamara, though. Beginning in 1906, he and a few members of the Iron Workers Union launched their bombing campaign. They blew up 110 ironworks. These explosions caused only minimal property damages and no deaths. More than anything, they were designed to send a message. If you didn't hire union, your company was at risk. By 1910, McNamara was ready to send his most powerful message of all. Though he'd built and discharged a number of bombs himself over the previous four years, this time he recruited his brother, JB, to do the dirty work. Another associate, Ordie McManigal, was in on the plan as well. It was set for September 30th. That evening, J.B. McNamara left a suitcase filled with dynamite beside the L.A. Times building in Ink Alley, where the flammable printer's ink was stored. He also placed bombs outside the homes of Times publisher Harrison Otis and anti-union organizer, Felix Zehandelar. The dynamite, was connected to a wind-up clock and a detonator. That night at 1.07, the bomb outside the LA Times building exploded. Unbeknownst to McNamara, dozens of employees who wouldn't normally have been present had been summoned to the office to produce an extra edition of the paper. As a result, the building was much more crowded than it would normally have been at such a late hour, The bomb also ignited several gas pipes that led into the building, which combined with the flammable ink caused the entire side of the structure to collapse almost immediately. What the initial explosion didn't destroy was decimated by the resulting fire, which actually jumped to the building next door containing the paper's printing press. That also burned to the ground. After the chaos cleared, 21 were found dead and more than 115 were seriously injured. And that's without any deaths resulting from the other two bombs, which luckily never went off, thanks to poorly wound coils. It took seven long months before the three men involved with the crime were finally brought to trial. Though they initially pled not guilty, their lawyer, the famous Clarence Darrow, convinced them to change their pleas to avoid the death penalty. J.B. McNamara, was sentenced to life in prison for planting the bomb. McManigal, who confessed the moment he was apprehended, turned state's evidence and received a suspended sentence. John McNamara was sentenced to 15 years, after which he returned to his job as a union organizer, but his reputation was severely tarnished.
1: When, in 1941, he died of a sudden heart attack, And his scathing obituary simply stated that he dropped dead on the street tonight of a heart ailment. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again, Lainey,
0: for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You can find my podcast True Crime Fan Club and Crimes of Passion on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more history on the
1: American justice system, check out ParCast Original, Not Guilty. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Tony Goodman, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson.